Welcome to Back to the Future, a limited podcast series where we speak to startups revving to go in a post-pandemic world. Continuing on our Back to the Future series, um, today we have Steve Piro at Synergy Efficiency Solutions. Steve is the founder and CEO of Synergy Efficiency Solutions, SES. Uh, it's been recognized in Huffington Post as one of Bali's 10 hottest tech startups. Steve has been featured as a speaker in Google Startup Grind, advisor at GIZ's uh, Practitioners Dialogue on Climate Finance. He's also proud to be an Indonesian Endeavor entrepreneur. Uh, Steve received his degree from the University of San Diego uh, and also continued studies at Harvard Business School. Uh, after extensive travel through 44 countries, he settled in Indonesia, founding Synergy in 2008. Well, I'll just jump straight in, uh, give floor to Steve. Uh, Steve, one of the first questions that I have is, is after your MBA at Harvard Business School, you traveled extensively, like I mentioned, through 44 countries around the world. Could you tell us why uh, why you traveled that much and also you know more about the experience and so, so what was so captivating about Indonesia in particular that made you decide to settle there in 2008? Yeah, um, so thanks for having me, William, first of all. So I, I traveled, I mean, I was a big surfer growing up and I love traveling. I studied in Mexico uh, during university, so I kind of got the travel bug back then. And my dream was just to, to take a trip around the world and surf and backpack and see the world. Uh, and I was lucky enough to do that. And uh, towards the end of the trip, I stopped in Bali. It was one of my last uh, places to stop. And I just kind of fell in love with the country, saw, you know, a lot of good, good waves to surf and just a lot of opportunity in general. It's a, it's a big country um, with a lot of just amazing, you know, awesome cultural things, uh, but a lot of kind of... Uh, opportunities, problems and opportunities in terms of energy. Uh, so that's kind of where I, you know, I made my home. I've been here 15 years now. And uh, who knows if I'll ever go back originally from San Francisco. So who knows if I'll go home. But for now, this is this is home. That's fascinating. I, I like the I like the traveling around the world part, looking for waves. Well, on on going back to the main topic today, I obviously want to talk to you more about synergy. Uh, and uh, from the website, I gathered that uh, your company's mission is to simplify energy efficiency in Southeast Asia. I think it perfectly encapsulates what you guys do really well. Uh, but perhaps you can provide our listeners here more details and exactly uh, some of the things that your company has been doing. At. My understanding is that uh, the major work that you do is really to help finance and also uh, operate the retrofitting exercise of big buildings uh, in major cities to achieve energy cost savings. Would that be right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, so maybe I'll just talk you a little bit through the progression of our company, kind of like the services we offered in the beginning and Please what do. we kind of offer now, because it gives insight to, to uh, yeah, uh, performance contracting, which is our big focus now. And I'll explain that. Uh, so when we first started our company, we were focused on doing carbon audits. So calculating the carbon footprint for clients, helping them understand their carbon footprint, giving them uh, ways to reduce it. We found that a lot of our clients weren't really, uh, they didn't care too much about their carbon footprint. They were really focused on saving money though. So what we mm -hmm. did is we just started focusing on doing energy audits where you go into a building or a factory, you diagnose, you figure out what they need to do to save energy, which effectively is saving money. Uh, so that was awesome, had a lot of good success. But what we started noticing was that we do this great energy audit report, give it to the client, and then for whatever reason, things wouldn't get implemented. So they take the, the report, read it, uh, they put it up on the shelf and it would collect dust. Uh, 
And that was either because, first of all, they thought this is too good to be true. We don't think we can actually get these savings. Or maybe they didn't have the internal team to implement the project to get the energy savings. They didn't have the budget to do it. So whatever reason it was, a lot of these projects were, weren't going anywhere. Um, so that's when we got into uh, performance contracting, which basically means after we do the energy audit, we're going to come in, we're going to do all the detailed engineering design, we're going to mobilize the money. So we're going to buy the client all new energy efficient equipment. Uh, and then we're going to pay for uh, our service from the savings. So once we start getting savings, we share that uh, share that savings with the client for five to seven years. Uh, so it's win-win. The client doesn't have to pay anything. Uh, they get pretty much effectively guaranteed savings for five or seven years. And then at the end of the contract, uh, we hand over all the assets to the client and they get all the savings. So it's a pretty uh, bulletproof business model. Pretty interesting. I guess in the easiest way for layman like myself to think about this is as if you are um, the McKinsey and BCG of the world, uh, going in with okay. a consulting project, but actually getting things done beyond that, right? That's the key. Yeah. Actually, get the sort of what you mentioned, the performance contracting, uh, shared savings, again, financing arrangements. That's really innovative. Uh, I thought it's really a cool way also to eliminate the utilized financial instrument to incentivize the take up of this retrofitting exercise, which as you, you know, mentioned can cost quite a bit. Uh, just get, get a sense of, uh, for us to get a sense of the scale of sums, amount of money that we're talking about here. I think uh, some of the recent projects yeah. you've done, I think uh, the Adi Husada Hospital in Surabaya, you mentioned 38% energy savings over five years. How, how much you know, um, dollar and cents are we talking about there? Yeah, so, so this is interesting. So typically when we talk about kind of uh, energy, uh, sorry, renewable energy projects, solar panels, uh, wind, geothermal, they're looking at kind of five, 10 bigger projects with energy efficiency. And this is one of the reasons that it's been overlooked. Uh, ticket size is kind of in the half million up to a million, maybe $2 million range. So because of this reason, a lot of the kind of uh, institutional investors have overlooked it historically, even though the returns are, I mean, really good IRRs. So kind of uh, high 20s, 30s, even in the 40s sometimes for uh, uh, project IRRs. But because of the small ticket, they, they get overlooked. Um, our, our sweet spot, I mean, there's not a lot of products that have been done projects in Indonesia right now. So we kind of look half million up to two or three million bucks is, is what we're looking at. Um, and savings for the hospital is a, a, a small investment, less than a million bucks. Uh, but we got, you know, energy costs were cut by 38% over the five-year contract. So that's 38% per year. And they would have actually been higher, but in the middle of the contract, the cost of oil uh, dropped and plummeted. So, so our savings actually uh, took a haircut there. So it would have actually been bigger, but uh, that's, it's, I mean, savings like that are actually really achievable in Indonesia. It's not like a, a one-off, uh, it's possible. So big, big potential in Indonesia. I cannot agree more on that. I think just seeing, you know, how many old buildings there are and uh, how many things can actually be done uh, maybe you also can go through the financing part of the liability on on your side. Obviously, you know uh, you take on risk, right? That's what that's what mm -hmm. this really is. You take on risk potentially for five or even longer period, and you take on the volatility of the energy price as well as well. Um, and how 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 exactly do you do you go about you know uh, squaring the circle in that sense? Sure. So we learned a a lesson the hard way with Adiusada when oil dropped. Uh, we took a big haircut. So what we do now is we build in a floor on the energy price. So we measure kilowatt hours saved or liters of diesel saved, and we set a minimum uh, price for that, that energy. 
So basically, if energy prices go up during the contract, we get that upside. If they go down, at least we're protected, uh, you know, from the downside. So that's kind of how we handle that. Um, that being said, though, there's still, I mean, quite a lot of other risks that we face. Basically, as an ESCO company, energy service company, which is what we are, uh, we're in the game of just mitigating risk. So project risk, uh, performance risk, design risk. That's, that's our biggest focus. Interesting. Well, another segment of your business that's, I think, growing quite a bit, not just retrofitting existing building, but also mm -hmm. helping in terms of the design stage. I saw, uh, again, you know, uh, your involvement in the Manara Compass, obviously the big tower coming up in Jakarta for uh, one yeah. of the biggest uh, media conglomerates in Indonesia. Uh, one thing that strikes out from looking at that is, you know, the, the, the millions of dollars saved just from so what you term that facade reorientation. What exactly mm -hmm. is that, and what are the what are things could you know new new designers, new architects really be looking at uh, to to save um, money and to save the earth at the end of the day? Okay, so so yeah, that project was really cool. Uh, Compass is pretty uh, innovative and gave us a lot of um, what do you say freedom in terms of energy efficiency concepts that we implemented in designs. Uh, basically, with that, our, the way we go about handling new projects is we uh, build a, a digital simulation of the project first, of uh, the building, and we make a simulation. Okay, if the building is built according to the first design we get from the client, this is how much energy it'll be. This is the baseline. And then we can make tweaks to the type of glass they have, uh, the shading, uh, the cooling system, the insulation levels in the wall, uh, how they distribute the chilled water and the, uh, the cool air. All these things, we can do it in our uh, digital model before they actually build the building. Uh, and as a result, because we can get very accurate um, numbers, we can actually resize a lot of the equipment. So most of the time, uh, kind of standard practice in Indonesia, most countries is the engineers designing the cooling system. They make a design and then they just add on a 20 or 30% safety buffer. What we do is we can actually run a lot more uh, data points, design it more accurately. And so we actually get a big CapEx savings on the project so they don't have to buy such a big cooling system still it's just as cold and uh, operates better but we reduce the capex and when the building actually is turned on they're going to save a lot on the opex so it's it's a double saving so it's basically uh, you spend a little bit of money on consulting and you get literally millions of dollars cut off the budget so it's uh, from day one it's a pretty good proposition i see interesting i guess the analogy i have in my in my head is really precision engineering but applied to buildings you know precisely yeah. the kind of needs that the building has rather than sort of again like you said the traditional way we have we have to be built, built in a lot more buffer which obviously results in a bit of waste now um take a taking a step back obviously you know around the world there's a sense that awareness of the need to pursue sustainable strategy has gone up. This mm -hmm. happens across the industries and across the globe in many countries. Has that trend been catching on in Indonesia too? I think, uh, is there any truth to the idea that the pandemic itself actually accelerated even uh, this trend even more? Uh, how, would that, how would that be? Okay, so I think Indonesia in general is still decades behind a lot of the world in terms of green building, uh, demand, design, and just kind of real projects here. Part of the reason I think awareness is really low in Indonesia. Um, and part of the reason is too, because historically energy prices were subsidized in Indonesia. So energy actually wasn't, it didn't really sting uh, uh, project owners. It wasn't so expensive. And so as a result, they just focused on getting things built, getting them up and running, not worried about using efficient equipment, just getting things off the ground. Uh, 
And now as energy prices start to come up in Indonesia, the government's been pulling back the subsidy. There is more focus on, on designing more efficient buildings. Um, but I think that that force is not coming from regulation. It's coming from private sector. So it's from uh, uh, they want to save money. That's where the drive is coming from. So in Indonesia, I think typically it's private sector uh, that drives things, and then the government kind of follows on later with uh, regulations. Right? It's it's not driven by regulation here. I see. Yeah, I think in terms of um, role of greener energy sources, right? so far basically I think that all the buildings you're working with really tap into the existing grid, the, the PLN and all that. But in terms of yeah. input of new energy sources, uh, apart from retrofitting and reducing energy wastage, are clients moving towards considering all these alternative alternative energy sources, your solar, your wind, perhaps, or probably a bit too early still from the sound of things? Yeah, so I think um, it's getting there. It's starting to move in that direction. I think the tricky part is because energy is still quite cheap in Indonesia, uh, Project metrics, so I mean, simple payback period to put in solar panels is about eight years in Indonesia. So typically, I mean, in developing countries, if you get that kind of return on your money, it's not very attractive. So the people that are putting in, you know, tapping into renewable energy, it's more for, uh, it's not economic driven. It's, it's, you know, maybe you have corporate mandates from above to have a certain percentage of energy from renewable or it's, it's other drivers pushing that. It's not really a, a business decision. I see. Now, um, moving on to, you know, operating a business uh, itself in Indonesia, right? Uh, one of the challenges we hear often from foreign direct investors, you know, uh, businesses operating that have to deal with a thicket of laws and rules and regulations from central government to provincial government to, you know, mm -hmm. Kabupaten to Kecamatan district and sub-district. Have you encountered such issues before? Uh, obviously, you have projects in multiple locations across Indonesia. Uh, what are mm -hmm. some of the potential solutions that you would say to, uh, you know, um, new investors that are new to Indonesia? Yeah, so I, I can't successfully say we've cracked the kind of uh, state-owned businesses or uh, government projects yet. We've, we've tried on a couple and we just had a tough time and couldn't really get them across the line. Um, but thankfully, because the private sector market is so big, that's what we really focused on. Um, so that's been our focus. And I, and I wish there was like a... a a trick or a golden key to figure out how to work with state-owned companies, but we, we haven't found that. Um, so I think in Indonesia, people always say it, uh, you need a good local partner. And I think that's been something that's been a big help for us. Uh, just having a good local network, local partners that are investing. And uh, yeah, that's, that's our strategy. I see. Now looking beyond Indonesia, Indonesia is obviously a very big market, but beyond that, what are some of the countries in the region they're looking at already active in? So we're, so in terms of energy efficiency, Indonesia's the biggest potential energy efficiency market in the whole world. So they kind of have it between, there's all different numbers, but about 5 billion up to about $45 billion worth of uh, investment potential in the country for energy efficiency. Uh, so our focus has really just been own our backyard. So the market is so big here before we expand out to uh, wherever, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, we really just want to own Indonesia. So we're pretty Indonesia focused. I would say the next, if we are to kind of jump off of Indonesia, I think the Philippines would be the next focus because cost of energy is quite high there. Uh, and there's a lot of similarities with kind of market development over there. Uh, but for now, we're just, we're Indonesian focused. We're all in here. I see. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on various, um, you know, energy efficiency uh, drives in Indonesia. Uh, I will end with just one very personal question, if you don't mind. Sure. How much do you pay for electricity bills at home? 
my house is pretty cheap. <laughs> because of retrofitting? Uh, my, no, because uh, this is, I don't know if I should say this on air, but our, our PLN meter, our electric meter is broken. And so we haven't actually <laughs> paid for our bill in, in over a year. So maybe that kind of gives insight to some of the, uh, I don't know, uh, why PLN is not doing so good here. But yeah, we don't actually pay for electricity. It's broken at the moment. Okay. That's and it one... come back someday. And, yeah. I see. Go ahead. Sorry. That's, that's one thing not to, not to retrofit, I guess, in, in some ways. Yeah, okay. exactly. We'll keep that the same. Thanks for sharing that. Maybe, you know, if you have any, any final thoughts, uh, areas or, 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 or trends that we haven't touched on uh, uh, in our conversation so far, Steve? Um, yeah, I think, well, so I think one of the things just to hammer home is that energy efficiency is, it's a pretty, it's kind of complex and abstract to understand. Uh, so it's different from solar panels where you plug in the solar panel and then you can meter the electricity coming out of it. Uh, when it comes to energy efficiency, there's kind of this theoretical baseline and then the savings are kind of not really, it's pretty clear to measure them, but for a lot of people, it's tough to measure. Uh, but the returns are so good. So kind of a lot of our returns are six months, one year, uh, up to three years. So it's really an attractive, uh, I mean, one of the best places to put your money if you want to get a good return. Uh, and we just really want to see it kick off because it'll do a lot for the country, uh, helping them hit their national goals. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it's a pretty exciting thing. It's just very uh, early stages in Indonesia. And that was Steve Piro of Synergy. We just heard his experience in running an energy efficiency company, which uses data-driven design to achieve better energy savings for buildings across Indonesia. This brings us to the end of the second episode of our new Back to the Future series, a limited series of podcasts where we speak to innovative business founders across the region. Join us next week to hear from Jonathan Ng of Sinfu Tech. It's a startup company that's launching alcoholic beverage out of nothing other than a byproduct of tofu manufacturing. Thank you for your time. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.